What is wisdom? What does that word even mean? How can we implement wisdom in our everyday lives? Psychiatrist and executive coach Dr. Sunil invites you to join him on a transformational and sacred quest to experience meaning, purpose, and fun in both your life and work. These podcasts will not only empower you to wisely navigate through a confusing world, but to grow in body, mind, and spirit, which will ultimately have us Dancing with Wisdom. Hello, and welcome to the Dancing with Wisdom podcast with me, Sonora Hager, and Elliot Frisbee. Lovely to be back. And um, what are we going to be talking about today, Sunil? So today, what I wanted to really think about and focus on is some biblical insights into the wonder of wisdom. Is that why you've got the Bible down there? It is indeed, actually. Yeah, I just yeah. see that in the corner of my yeah, eye. That's right. Because I think to really grasp wisdom, we need to go to the Bible because wisdom is something that, that God has given us through the scriptures. And I think as we begin to understand and grapple with that, it can open our eyes to the wonder of who he is and to the wonder of what wisdom has for us. Now, to put it mildly, the Bible is a big book and wisdom is a huge subject. So we are only going to scrape the surface and there's going to be a lot more that we could cover. But frankly, I haven't got the capacity to do that. And we'll know do we have the time. But, but it's quite interesting where wisdom first pops up. It is. It is fascinating because when I began to look at this is actually wisdom pops up in the very first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. Not what you might expect. And to try and explain to you where and how and why it pops up the way it does, I'm going to have to go into a little story with you. And, I feel uh, like I want to get a beanbag, sit on the right. floor, I go into story time. Exactly. I'm going to and share. That's right. Share. So it's back in the book of Genesis, when we read about the creation of the heavens and the earth, and we, create, we hear about the first man, and what we read about there is in Genesis chapter 2, that God puts man in the garden and he says to him that you can, as it were, eat from any tree, of it, it, from any plant in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what we then read is that God then creates the woman and he places her in the garden. He places them both in, there in the garden. And it all looks wonderful. And it is wonderful because, you know, you, you've got the man and the woman. It says that they, were, that they were naked and unashamed, meaning that they were able to enjoy everything that God had given them. There was no embarrassment, no sense of, of separation. And then into the narrative, into, in, into the story, comes what's called a serpent. And it says there the serpent was craftier than all the other animals. And the word used is close to wisdom but it's slightly different in the sense that there was, you know, if you think of craftiness, is, is there's an ulterior motive. And what the, the snake says to the woman, he introduces her with a doubt. And he says to her, did God really say that you can eat from every tree and every plant in the garden? And, you know, it's a very crafty ploy because it's bringing to bear, as it were, a little doubt. You know, it's a bit like, Elliot, you know, if, if, if you came to my house and, you, and I said to you, Elliot, you can have everything in my house, all the furniture, all the books, everything in the house is yours, except, Elliot, you can't have this phone. 
I really want that phone. You can't. Well, exactly. You see, that's the whole point. That's better than my phone. Yes. (laughs) Suddenly, okay, your focus is on the fact that you can't have my phone. Whereas (laughs) everything else I've given you, I've given you the whole house. And can you see that there's a little seed of doubt? And so he says, did God really say that you can have everything? And she says, well, he did. But there's one thing that we can't have, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And she actually adds another thing, which remember, remember I told you at the beginning of, of the story, how God had spoken to the man. So she wasn't created at this point. So she, she must have heard it from him. But she adds an extra line, which isn't in the scripture. She says, we must not even touch it or we will die. So keep hands off that. We mustn't get there. Now, this is where it gets really interesting, because the snake then says, you won't die. Because God knows that when you touch it, you'll become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Now, a doubt has been put there, but also a blatant lie. Now, my hunch is, although I can't prove this, is that by putting that seed on uh, that seed of doubt in, in, in into into a woman's mind? Because she remember she, she said you must not even touch it. I presume she wants she may have even touched the tree, and nothing happened, which may have made her think, oh well, maybe what this snake is telling me, maybe there's an element of truth in this. And this is where this is where the this is where the point. You know, I said to you, it's surprising where wisdom comes in the scriptures because it says it says there in Genesis chapter three, it says there when the woman saw that the tree was good to look at, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, which we infer from the previous verses, it says, it says there's something to the effect of knowing the difference between good and evil. That something about wisdom is linked to that. She took it and she ate it and she gave it to the man who was with her. So the whole time, the man is with her. Now, he's not saying anything. Earlier on, he's talked about how grateful he is and how wonderful this woman is that he's, he's given her. But at this point, he doesn't say anything. And then they eat it. And if you like, it all goes downhill from there. But there's something about wisdom right at the beginning of, of that first story in, in, in the Bible with a man and a woman that shows that wisdom is about becoming like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. That's what's so intriguing about it, because wisdom gives us the capacity to deal with the complexity of life, with the cynicism, the confusion. But if we go about it the wrong way, then we really have problems in store for us. And in a sense, we're living with the consequences thousands of years later now by that sort of misjudgment that was made by the woman and the man with her together in choosing to listen to what the snake said. But the desire, in a sense, was not wrong, but the way it was handled has led to great disaster. Well, it shows that people need to be wise on what they perceive as wisdom. Yes. Because there seems to me to be a fine line between wisdom and temptation. Yes. And one can lead down one path and one can lead to the other. Yes, that's right. And I think that in everyday lives, when we're seeing so much on, like we've touched on before a few times about devices and things like that. Yes. It's saying to me that wisdom is listening to your inner good? Well, yeah. I mean, I think wisdom is certainly discernment. It's certainly prudence. It's certainly being very careful about the choices that you make. And again, desiring wisdom is not a bad thing. But there, if you like, what the scriptures make very clear is that this world is a battleground between forces of good and evil. 
Mm. Now, again, some people may say they're atheists, they don't believe in God, that there's there's no such thing as God. I like to think of God in, in, in the the phrase I like to, to think about to describe God in in modern terms is infinite intelligence. There is an infinite intelligence behind the universe. It's a very modern uh, mm. modern name, yeah. Yeah, inf- yeah, and I think I think that that really captures it, because we have lots of intelligent people around us. We have lots of information. We have lots of data. We have wonderful you know things we can do with our technology, but none of us is infinite. None of us, in a sense. I mean, what's fascinating, as a quick aside, is that we harness infinite resources in terms of technology, in terms of quantum physics, in terms of, you know, the way that our iPhones work, the way that Wi-Fi works. It uses this sort of infinite technology to do amazing things. But the mind behind that, that created that infinite resources, that is what we need to tap in. But what I'm saying is there's supernatural good and there's supernatural evil. And we in our arrogance like to think that we are our own little gods who actually are, are running the show. But actually, there's actually something much more mysterious going on, much more deeper than anything we, we, we could say imagine. We, you say we. I think a big bulk do think like that. And that, for me, is linking to trying to maintain and hold on to power. Yes, I think there is there's a strong connection there. And and for me, one thing that bothers me in the world, now I get it, rules are there, you know, to stop this happening and that happening. Yeah. But we don't actually get a choice who's going to be in power. You know, I know we vote and things like that, but often we like we have to vote for people that we probably would never want to vote for in the first place. We have to pick one, you yeah, know. So I mean, we're fortunate to live in a, in a democracy where we have the vote. We're, Mm. We're not in a place like, you know, like a country like North Korea or Afghanistan or even China, where if you sort of question those in power and authority, you could literally get killed. Yeah, so. quite, quite. But well, my point I'm getting to is that we are in that world where we're like, like you're the one in power. You're the one making these decisions. And I have to vote for one of you. Yeah, one, one out of two or two or, two or three. That's exactly. It. Yeah. Where something that we do actually have control on is looking within yes and finding the person in ultimately in power yes by, that's right in, with reflection and you're talking about yes. the and I, i'm the, the reason why i'm getting here is because you mentioned about the serpent yes and what the serpent did was sowed a seed yes that's all he did planted a seed yes and then there was a decision whether you wanted to water that seed exactly yeah. and so what i'm thinking is by self-reflection and like in your book, Dancing with Wisdom, which is such a great point if you wanted to start this route, is to what seed do you want to plant? And yes. what will, and will you water that seed? Exactly. Yes. And then everything around, all their people's a power and things like they can get on. Yes. Because you have an inner peace of doing good. Yes. Am I, think, I getting somewhere? Yeah, no, no. I think you make some very helpful points earlier because I think what we're talking about here is the importance of silence and solitude because we have so much noise. You know, whatever is latest and loudest, you know, for example, you know, the media gets very, very hit up about some particular issue, something happening in the government or in the country or in the world. And then suddenly it goes on to the next thing. It goes on to the next thing. And there's, you know, I think the phrase is we are the most over-informed and under-reflective civilization in the history of the world. We have so much information coming at us, but we don't stop and think, well, really, is it really wise for me to spend my time 
focused on this latest scandal, this latest upset, this this latest uproar that's going on. But if I can step back and think, hmm, these decisions, you know, what I'm making, what I'm what I'm doing, is this really healthy? Is this really going to take me in a direction that I that is going to be healthy for me? So it's in the silence and solitude that we can begin to hear God's voice, and we hear God's voice ultimately through his word in the biblical scripture. And we allow that, as it were, to sink deeply. And as you said, to plant seeds into our mind and into our consciousness so that we can make healthier choices and decisions rather than being, as it were, pushed by whatever is latest and loudest. And that's when we would start to experience the wonder, as you referred to. In that's a great word, yes. isn't it? Wonder, yeah. and you you were you were quite passionate about that. You used it in a very, it felt very natural when you said it. So let's talk a little bit more about the yeah. wonder. So, so I, I, there's um, there's a theologian called Brown who talks about bewildered curiosity, and I think that really summarizes it really well, because when we live in wonder, we live with a sense of reverence and awe about the world we've been put into, the creation that we have, the life that we've been given. And it's something that we're at real risk and danger of losing as we become more cynical, as we begin to think that this life is all there is. That is, it were, I've got to cram all my experiences into this life. I've got to get everything in this life. You know, it, it basically, what, you know, what's that phrase from, um, uh, it's a famous, it's greed is good kind of thing. He who dies with, with the most toys wins. I mean, it's terrible thoughts like that, that somehow or another that I'm just here to eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow I die. And that's the end of my existence. And you hear that, don't you? Yeah. You can't take it with you. You can't take and you know, and you I, hear that quite yeah. often. And I yeah. think in this post-COVID world, there's going to be a demarcation more and more between people who make a decision that I'm just going to live for myself and my own hedonistic pleasure, or I'm going to live with a greater purpose and meaning. You know, whatever these experiences that, that I've gone through, and for many people it's been really tough, you know, going through COVID, being isolated, being cooped up at home, you know, not being able to be out of our normal routines. Either that produces a thing, okay, I've been, I've got all this pent up emotion now. I'm just going to let it rip and just do whatever I want. Or I'm going to stop and think, actually, what am I living for? What are my real priorities? And I really pray and trust, you know, you know, these podcasts and the book Dancing with Wisdom can encourage us to live with greater meaning, purpose and fun with the life that we've been given. Because, you know, it's a huge gift that we've been given. And we're going to be called to account of what we've done with, with what we've been given. And I don't say that in a, with a sense of, you know, oh, no, you know, that sounds, you know, like, like an exam test, you know, the exam's coming kind of thing. But in the sense that we've been given a gift, let's make the most of what we've been given. And all of us fail. And that's why, in a sense, we need a saviour. That's why Jesus came into the world. And it's through his salvation that we can live. But, you know, what do I do with what he's given me? Do I squander that? Do, do I just live for, for my own selfish desires? That- I feel like I want to jump in here, Sonal. Sorry to yeah, interrupt. Do, I feel like do. I want to jump in at this point and say that as well, you don't have to be defined by your past. No, that's, that, right. that's, that's Or a that's, prisoner of the past either. Exactly, exactly. Yes. And I was actually thinking about prison at the time, actually. It's interesting that you just said that. Yeah. Because at my church, uh, Vicar's husband is a chaplain in Winchester. Oh, at a prison. A prison. And uh, I know people who've been in prison. And um, so obviously I, I can't, I don't talk to him about stories because I wouldn't be allowed anyway. But the point is, is that there is a, a reset button. You know, a yes. lot of people find themselves in prison or in situations where you hear the story and you think to yourself, you know, how, how can you not be there? How yeah. can you not be there? But my point is, is that, you know, Jesus died for our sins. There is a reset button that yes. you can push if you just accept it and just say, do you know what? Okay, I did that. That happened. 
But do you know what? And it will take so that one little bit of wisdom, that one little focus on the inner light where you can actually say, do you know what? Yes. I'm starting today. Today, yeah. I am moving forward. And you find a happiness, um, a contentment, and surround yourself by the people who make you smile and make you happy. Yeah. Or take you onto a more positive path. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what I'm getting yeah, to. More, yeah. Mm. But I think the other fascinating thing is, when you talk about prison is that we create prisons in our own mind. Our own limiting beliefs, our own, as it were, assumptions about life create prisons for us as well within which we're chained. But as we allow within silence and solitude, allow the word of God, and as it were, create a safe space within which to challenge what we assume to be the way the world is, we can, as it were, literally break free. I mean, the, the example that I always think of, and I always go back to, is a, a Jewish psychiatrist called Viktor Frankl, who was in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany. Now, no matter how bad your life is, I can't imagine it's worse than that, that you're in a concentration camp with no, you know, you're literally in prison. But what Frankl discovered in that terrible experience was that, Although I have no, as it were, outward freedom, there is a part of my mind, there's a part of me that no one can touch unless I give them permission. So what he did in that prison camp was he created an, an oasis in his mind that was oblivious to everything else going on. You know, in the silence and solitude of his own heart, he says, I'm not going to allow anything else to enter here. And there he began to ask himself questions such as, what am I learning from this experience? What are the characteristics of people who survive this terrible experience and those who don't? And he, as it were, developed something called logotherapy, which is basically means a search for meaning. And in many ways, dancing with wisdom is an attempt, is a feeble attempt at trying to talk about things that Frankel talked about in modern day terms, which is that if you have a big enough why, if you have a big enough reason for your life, you can handle any adversity. And Frankel proved that because after he left, um, the concentration camp you know, after World War II, he went to Vienna and he set up a psychiatric hospital, hospital there and he managed to get the suicide rate down to practically zero by focusing just on three things. He said, for good psychological health, you need just three things. And I, and I can't fault him. You need one, you need a purpose bigger than yourself, something that you're living for that is much bigger than your own petty ego, than your own small world, something that grips you with passion. Mm. So a purpose bigger than yourself. Secondly, you need what he called a redemptive perspective on your suffering, which is a, which is a lot of long words. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's good to explain that. What I mean by that is that you look at the bad things in your life, you look at the ugly things, you look at the things that went wrong, and you can begin to see good in them. So there are two examples of that that, that I go back to. One is Joseph in the Old Testament. If you think about the life of Joseph, Joseph, if you don't know the story, had 11 brothers, so it was one of 12. He was the favorite son. But he was hated and despised by his brothers because he was a favorite son. And they hated him so much that they actually um, sold him as a slave. They wanted to kill him, but on, uh, at the last minute, they decided to sell him as a slave to Egypt. And he goes through a series of adventures. He goes to Egypt. He works for a man called Potiphar, does well, but then gets accused of trying to, unjustly accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. So ends up in prison for 14 years, is forgotten there, but overnight becomes prime minister of Egypt. And it just so happens that there is a famine and he is in charge of rescuing the country of Egypt from famine because he's prime minister and his brothers come back and he rescues the family. And at the end of when their father dies, his, his brothers think that he's going to somehow have revenge on them. 
And he actually says to them, there's a famous line where he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, so that many lives would be saved. So you remember the phrase, redemptive perspective in your suffering. He suffered. His brothers hated him. They tried to kill him. They sold him as a slave. He was imprisoned unjustly. But if they hadn't tried to kill him, if they hadn't sold him as a slave, he would never have become prime minister of Egypt. So there was a redemptive perspective in his suffering. And he kept that redemptive perspective. He was able to look at them in the eye and said, you wanted to kill me. But thank God you sent me to Egypt because by what the bad thing that you did turned out for good. So in simplistic terms, it's not holding on to the past, not holding on to that darkness and finding a learning from those moments applying it to your life, moving forward and offer forgiveness so yeah. you can have clarity. Yes, and you can only offer forgiveness because you're seeing the bigger picture. You're living in wisdom. You're seeing the wider perspective. It's not just about, you know, if you were Joseph and I was one of those brothers, you're not looking at me with anger and bitterness because you're seeing that actually it's not just about you and me. It's about a much, much bigger story that, that, that we're being invited into. And that's mm. what wisdom does. And I mean, ultimately, we see that in the cross, because what appeared to be a complete disaster is the means by which light and life comes to the world. You know, Jesus chooses to be vulnerable and die on that cross, but three days later rises from the dead. So going back to Frankel, so we have a purpose bigger than yourself, a redemptive perspective in your suffering, and then thirdly, being part of a loving community in a place where you know that you're loved and accepted for who you are and you can love and others back as well. Which I feel really passionate about. I, yes. I think that's really important. And I'll be completely open with you and say it took me a long time to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. Um, but it's really funny because uh, uh, I'm not going to start telling my backstory uh, on, on here, but I've worked with a lot of big names. Sure. Um, I traveled around the world. I've, yeah. I've done these fantastic things and I've been part of a lot of wonderful moments. And I realized that I, was, I wasn't surrounded by a community. No. I was surrounded by acquaintances. Right. Many wanting to take a piece of me and use yes. it for their good, for yes. their movement. And I mentioned in a previous podcast in season two that I had to say goodbye to a lot of them. I, well, I, closed, I closed those doors because, and I put focus on the community. I can safely say now that from making that tough decision at first, yeah. I'm... I'm just everyone I sort of You're a different speak person. to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much love there. That's great. And so much more happiness. Absolutely. And I think I mean, friendships and, and close community are vital to good psychological health. Uh, John Wyatt and, and I are going to be having a conversation about a book he's writing on the power of friendships. Mm-hmm. And that's that's coming up in this season. I'm looking forward to in, that. In, in, in a few yeah. episodes' time. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's those three things, really. So, I mean, and I think community, you've got to choose your friends wisely. And you've got to be clear about, you know, in terms of with you know within church we have a whole variety of people and that's good because we irritate and annoy each other like in any family we irritate and annoy each other but it's through the irritations and annoyances you know it's like we know like with a pearl how does a pearl develop it develops through the you know you have a clam is it a clam you call it, you put it in there and it, all the irritations that there's a bit of grit or dirt and that's what creates the pearl and it's the same way with you know is that with the irritations but at the same time you need people who you can be open and vulnerable with as well. You can't be that with with everybody. You've got to find those people who who are right for you and who for who you are right as well. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So let's 
do a obviously uh, if you if you're unfamiliar or you're just jumping randomly onto this podcast, we try to do these podcasts around about the sort of twenty five to thirty minute mark, don't we? So people can have them in yes. a break and still have time to uh, maybe pop to the bathroom before they go back to work or whatever. Yes. So um, let's do a summary of yes. what we've covered here. So what we try to do is our aim has been, and as, you should, as the listeners will have to decide if we've done that, it, is to create a sense of wonder about wisdom, and we say that. Because wisdom is, is not about just answers to difficult problems. It's, it's a part of it, but it's about learning to live with reverence and awe with the life we've been given. And I've tr- we've tried to do that by going to the first book of the Bible in Genesis and seeing how wisdom is introduced through a difficult story about temptation and betrayal and lying that has led to the disasters that we now see in our world, a world where there's full of selfishness and cynicism and so much that's driven by ego. But that's not the way that God intends it. And it's really looking at that God is using, as it were, the good, the bad and the ugly of our lives to make sense of that. But we have to, as it were, live life from a different level rather than just from, you know, he did that to me, she did that to me, I'm going to get my own back kind of thing. But seeing actually that there is literally, you know, a sacred quest that we're called upon that will restore literally meaning, purpose and fun to every area of our lives. And wisdom holds the key to that. But we have to live in wonder of that. Not that I have all the answers, but there is a profound mystery that we're being called into. And it all starts with a question, doesn't it? It all starts with a question. So Neil, thank you so much. Thank you. See you at the next one. Thank you. You've been listening to the Dancing with Wisdom podcast, presented by Sunil Rahija and Elliot Frisbee. For details on the Dancing with Wisdom book and its accompanying workbook, please visit drsunil.com. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, then please share it, give it a thumbs up on YouTube, and help it to grow by giving it a nice review. Life's challenges can diminish, define, or develop you. Which one will it be? Make sure you hunger for the wise one. The choice is yours.